the sin of presumption. If you look in verse 13, James says that there is a perspective with which we operate, which is our natural default operating system, whereby we presume our plans and speak of them as if we live in a closed system, whereby whatever we determine will happen will happen. James says, listen, you you don't live in a closed system. And what I mean by a closed system is that just there's these natural laws that operate around us, and that's kind of how things have been set up. Most folks who ascribe to a very scientific, atheistic worldview, or perhaps even a deistic worldview, where they think that God kind of created everything, set everything into motion, then he stepped back and said, take care of yourself. Right? That's a closed system where there is nothing influencing from the outside in, but everything that takes place is determined from the, the inside of that system. But, and James says that by default, we tend to operate that way and believe and assume that we live in a closed system by the way that we plan and by the way that we, we scheme and by the goals that we set. James says it's the sin of presumption by presuming that we live in a closed system. And James says whenever we do that, whenever we operate that way, James says it's sin. Look down in verse 17. He says, For the one who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. At first it seems like that statement is just kind of disconnected from the rest of the text. But he's referring back up into the text and saying, Listen, if you don't operate with this fixed principle in your mind that God's will is what wins the day. If you don't operate that way, James says, you're living a life. And what basically you have done is you've forgotten about God. You've forgotten about God. And James says you're committing the sin of presumption. Now James isn't talking about not planning here because in verse 13 he says, listen, those of you who say I'm going to go to this particular place, so a location, those of you who say I'm going to go there for this amount of time, a time stamp, and for those of you who say this is what we're going to do, we set a goal and have a plan. He says, verse 13 he talks about planning, but also in verse 15 he talks about planning when he says, if the Lord's wills, we will live and do this or that. It's not that in verse 13 you're doing this and that, and in verse 15 you're not doing this and that, you're not making any plans. He's talking about a particular way in which we make plans that forgets about God, that sets him on the back burner and assumes that we're living in a closed system. But James says we're not living in a closed system, we're living in an open system. And yes, God has created everything that's around us, but he is working from the outside and he still steps into human history. You see it most fully and readily in Jesus Christ as he invades human history and Jesus goes to the cross to die for sinners, to redeem us from Satan's sin and death and to bring us to God. You see God working from the outside in to come and rescue us. God still acts in human history. And James says, don't commit the sin of presumption by thinking that you live in a closed system because the system is still very much wide open. And God still intervenes and God still acts and God is still working toward his purposes and to accomplish his will. Now this particular truth that James unpacks for us here in this text doesn't just apply to business models. It applies to every area of our lives in which we do any kind of planning or goal setting. And James is not saying you shouldn't make plans and that you shouldn't set goals, but he's saying the way that you go about doing it needs, needs to turn away from that sin of presumption and assuming that basically, like, you know, if you're going to go out and start a business or want to grow your business, right? It's, is it good to have a business plan? Yeah, I would say that's a pretty good idea, okay? 
That's pretty, pretty convenient or, or, or contemporary wisdom. Yes, go create a business plan. But what James would say is don't just assume that because you put together a business plan and you do the market research and you put together the projections and you, uh, you, 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 you have a quality good or service that you're going to distribute and you devise a plan to deliver that product or service and all you've got to do is work that plan and work that plan and work that plan and then all of your dreams will come true and your business will grow and you'll be a multimillionaire. James says, you don't live in a, clo- in, a, in a closed system, you live in an open one where God is still working and there is something mysterious about the way that he works. Don't presume that just because you have a plan that that plan is actually going to come into fruition because God may redirect the course. It doesn't only apply to business, it also applies to parenting and raising your kids. Should you have a plan to raise your kids? Absolutely. Because everyone else is going to have a plan for them and what they're trying to influence them and the ways they're trying to guide and direct them. So absolutely you should invest intentionally in your kids and teach them manners, feed them good food, provide a quality education, bring them to church, teach them the Bible in your home, discipline them, give them chores, limit their screen time, right? And make them go outside and do something, right? You should absolutely have some kind of plan like that. But James says you don't live in a closed system. Don't presume that just because you check all the boxes and jump through all the hoops and carry out your plan that everything's going to work out the way that you have projected it to work out in the lives of your kids, in the lives of your business, in the lives of your family. There are so many couples that I've talked to over the years who want to start families. In fact, I've even known people to come to family dinners and they go, hey, listen, we're about to start trying to have kids. They don't announce they're pregnant. They announce they're about to start trying. And then they go through two years of infertility and treatment after treatment after treatment. Because they presume that I'm going to start a family or I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get my education. I'm going to get this degree. Then I'm going to go get this job. And all these projections and all these plans that they're thinking about what's going to take place based on what they have determined. And James says, listen, you don't live in a closed system. You don't live in a closed system. James doesn't say you shouldn't plan, that you shouldn't set goals, that you shouldn't push towards those things. He says, but what you have to do is you have to recognize that God is still sovereign, that he is still reigning, that he is still on the throne, that he is still ruling, and that he is still working from the outside of this world in which we live into this world to direct things towards his purposes. He's still doing it. And James says, this is, a, this is a sin, and it's serious, James says, because whenever you presume, whenever I presume, essentially what we're doing is we're dismissing God's providence, and we're trying to put ourselves in his place. Now, what, God, what is God's providence, right? That's a big theological term. God's providence is this. When, when theologians read the Bible, and they see the Bible speak about God's goodness and how in him there is no evil, But everything that God does is indeed good. And they also read the Bible and they see the Bible talk about God's sovereignty and how he governs human history, including our lives. And so you got these two threads of God's goodness and God's sovereignty. And when you take those two threads of God's goodness and God's sovereignty and you tie them up in a knot, then the knot that you have formed between the thread of God's sovereignty and the thread of God's goodness is God's providence. That God is providentially working and governing human history for the good for the good of his people. And whenever you and I make presumptuous plans, we dismiss the providence of God. 
Because essentially we try and elevate ourselves to his position. Look at what James says in the text. This is what he tells us in verses... Um, uh, he tells us this down in verse... 16 or 15, 15 and 16, where he says, listen to what he says. He says, um, instead of saying if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. James says, you boast in your arrogance because you think you know what's going to happen and you think you know what's best and you think that you know how everything needs to unfold and you think you know what steps need to be put into place. And James says, whenever you operate with presumption instead of leaning on God's providence, essentially you're elevating yourselves into God's place. And he says that is a sin. It's always a sin to elevate yourselves into God's position and to boastfully, arrogantly, and James even says wickedly, he says that all such boasting is evil, to presume. Now listen, the way that that typically goes about happening is that, that you know, God has made us in his image. He's formed us in his likeness. We read that throughout the scriptures. And God, there are certain attributes that God has that theologians call his communicable attributes. And there are certain theologians that he has that are called his incommunicable attributes. Now, we don't use that language except in reference to diseases, right? There are communicable diseases and there are incommunicable diseases, right? And that's so helpful because that gives us a good picture of what the theologians are talking about. Because there are certain communicable diseases that you can catch from somebody else, like the flu or like a cold. But there are certain incommunicable diseases that you can't catch from someone else, like cancer, and when the theologians speak of God's communicable attributes, they are attributes of God that we can catch. Like his, when we come into contact with him as his spirit comes to dwell within us, like his righteousness and his holiness and his love and the joy with which he's always existed and his grace and his mercy. Those are communicable attributes of God that we should embody and exhibit as his people. But there are certain incommunicable attributes of God, like his omniscience, like the fact that he knows everything, and his omnipotence, the fact that he can do anything, and his omnipresence, the fact that he is all places at all times, and he is not limited in finite ways like we are, or his aseity, in other words, he is self-existent, he doesn't need anything from anyone else. But see, what happened in the fall is that what God intended for us to be is reflections of his communicable attributes and to look like him in his righteousness and his holiness and his justice and his mercy and his grace. But what we want to do subsequent to the fall is to look like God in his incommunicable attributes. We want to know everything. We want to be able to do everything and determine everything. We don't want to be dependent upon anyone else other than ourselves. And James says, whenever you presume, when you commit the sin of presumption, essentially you're elevating yourself into God's position saying, I know best. I know how everything needs to unfold. I know what town that I need to move to next year. I know what degree that I need to pursue in order to get the kind of job that I need in order to have the kind of lifestyle that I want. And James says it's all presumption when we elevate ourselves into the position of God and we try not to reflect God in the attributes that we should reflect him in, but in the ones that are reserved for him and him alone. James says it's boastful and it's arrogant and at the root it's wicked. Which is why James comes to say in verse, in verse 14 when he says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. In other words, James says, you're not smart enough to know what you need. 
And when you operate presumptuously, you're assuming that you're smart enough to know what you need. When I operate presumptuously, I'm assuming I know enough and I'm smart enough to know what I need. But James says, you don't know. You don't have sufficient knowledge to know what's coming over the horizon or over that next hill in your life to know exactly what you need. But there is one who does. That's why James says your life, it's like a mist. It's like a vapor. There's an image of frailty there that James uses to say, listen, you don't know. You don't know what you need. But God does. And that's why he says, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Instead of, this is what we're going to go do, and this is when we're going to go do it, and this is how long we're going to do it, and this is what the result's going to be. And we've got all our projections out here on this flow chart and the graphs and all the images that we need to present to all of our investors, and this is what's going to happen. And James says, man, you're operating presumptuously, and what you need to be doing is operating providentially and submitting yourselves to God's will and saying, if the Lord wills. We're going to make plans, and we're going to work those plans, and we're going to pursue those plans, but I know at the end of the day that my knowledge is not sufficient to know whether or not this plan really is what I need, but God does. God does. He knows enough. And so we say, if the Lord wills. Now, that, what James is saying is not that we go around with some kind of magical phrase, right? And so, you, you ever met those people, right? Every, every conversation you have with them? Well, we're going we're gonna to go to dinner tonight if the Lord wills, right? Or, or we're going to go see our family next weekend, Lord willing, right? That's what we're going to do. James isn't saying that you've got to go around sprinkling pious jargon into all your conversations now. What James is saying like John Calvin, when he commented on this text in a sermon, he said this. He talked about the apostles who themselves made plans and who themselves had goals. But when they did, he said they had a fixed principle in their minds. They would do nothing without the permission of God. There's got to be a fixed principle in your mind and in your heart that whatever transpires is what God has purposed. Because I don't know enough. I need to do you. James says you don't go around just sprinkling pious jargon, but rather you operate on this basis. And here's what it saves you from. It saves you from making statements like, well, the Lord has led me to do this. And I believe the Lord has shown me this is what you should do. Or this is what we should do. And really, sometimes whenever we make those kinds of statements, all we're doing is just refusing to take responsibility for our opinion. As opposed to saying, this is the plan that we've put in place, but God is providential and it will come to pass if it's what he desires. And you operate with that kind of fixed principle in your parenting and in your job and in your vocation and in your home and in your relationships. James says it's got to be more than just pious jargon that you sprinkle into conversations. It's got to be a fixed principle of the mind and the heart. And if we don't operate on that fixed principle, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen to me and to you is that I, we're, we're going to be on this pendulum, right? This roller coaster ride between swinging all the way over here to a very prideful state and all the way over here to a very state of incredible despair. And here's why. Because if, you, if we believe that basically my plan and my intellect and my aptitude is what's gotten me to where I am today or gotten other people to where they are today and not God's purposes in their lives, here's what's going to happen. Is that either when things succeed and your plan takes off and you go, it goes really well, man, that pendulum is going to swing all the way over here and you're going to be inflated, arrogant with a big head. And nobody's going to want to be around you. 
But when things don't go well, you're going to swing way over here because you think everything's dependent upon you and your plan and how, how smart and, and, and good and cool you are and people just like being around you. And so over here, you're going to swing all the way over. You're going to be in great despair because you go, I wasn't good enough. And you'll be riddled with all kinds of worry somewhere in the middle when you don't know how things are going to go. It's going to create all kinds of anxiety in your life because you're not resting in God's providence, but you're trusting in your presumption of how you presume things will go. And James says, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. So how do we avoid swinging to one end of that pendulum to the other or staying in the middle and just being riddled with worry? And I want you to notice something that James says in verse 15. Notice he doesn't say in verse 15. He doesn't go straight into, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. He doesn't jump straight to that. What does he say first? If the Lord wills, we will live. We will live and do this or that. See, what I have to see and what you have to see and what we have to see is that every moment of every day that we draw a breath, it's all of grace. If things go well, we should be able to say, it's all of grace. God is working his purposes. If things go poorly, we should be able to say, it's all of grace. And that saves you from being overinflated or overdeflated. When you look to the heavens and you say, it's all of grace. If the Lord wills, I will live. I will continue to draw breath on this earth. Every moment of every waking hour of every day, if the Lord wills, I will live. And do this or that. It's all of grace. And my hope and my prayer for you as an individual and for us as a church is that there would be a fixed principle in our minds that when we look at the circumstances in our lives, we would say, it's all of grace. The fact that I get to live and breathe in this very moment is a testimony to the very grace and mercy of God. As one of our elders was with that family in the hospital last night, and she woke in and out of consciousness torn up over what had just happened. He leaned close to her and he said, it's only by the grace and mercy and sovereignty of God that you are still here. That's exactly what James says. It's all of grace. If the Lord wills, we will live. And if the Lord wills, then this plan that we've put in place is going to be carried on to fruition. But if the Lord does not will, because I don't know what's best, then it will take a different course and head in a different direction. And James says, those who are living as the people of God among the peoples of the world who profess faith in Jesus, not just profess it, but actually possess it, they are living with this fixed principle in their minds that everything that they taste, touch, see, feel, and experience, it's all of grace. The fact that they get to draw another breath in this very moment. And listen, what James says here has so much, so much to say to us as a church right now. If there's one thing that I've learned in my 37 years on this earth, is what the, the ancient sage says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, when he says, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. You and I have all our plans and all our presumptions, but it's God who establishes what steps that we take and what path that we walk down and ultimately what the destinations we arrive at. 
Listen, whenever I was in college, my plan was to stay as the youth pastor of First Baptist Church in Pineville, Louisiana, and smell the paper mill for the rest of my life. That was my plan. That's, that, that's what I determined was going to happen. But God had a different plan because we don't live in a closed system. And so when I got to seminary, my plan was to plant a church. But God had different plans because we don't live in a closed system. Going, coming out of seminary as I finished, my plan was to plant or pastor a church in the state of Louisiana. And I know some of you are wondering, why in the world would you want to go back there? Right? But that's where I felt like God was drawing my heart. And so that was our plan. But we don't live in a closed system. God is still working to direct and redirect us over the course of our lives. And my plan, um, I, I can assure you, that in those plans that I had made, none of them included me driving across a cattle guard through a flooded driveway up a hill around a house and onto a retreat center property that was a working livestock ranch in order to pastor a church. Nowhere in any of those scenarios in my mind was any of that included. But I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know. And in God's gracious purposes, He has sent my family, He sent my family here almost a year ago. And in the last year, we have seen evidences of God's grace around us. We have been blessed by God to be able to have participated in the baptism of 14 individuals in the life of our community in the last year. We have had 17 families say, this is our church by going through the new member workshop, uh, workshop process and joining in covenant membership with us. We've seen people um, over the course of that time say, tell, t write me letters or emails or have conversations about what God is doing in their life. We've seen individuals say, listen, man, God, God is leading my family and I to sell our home so that we can downsize in the very prime earning potentials of our lives in order to be able to give more away to those who are in need. That is evidence of God's grace in our midst. Not just numbers that are climbing on a spreadsheet somewhere to be stored on a hard drive so we can go look at them a year from now and compare where we are and where we were, but the grace of God penetrating the hearts of people because we don't live in a closed system. Or people saying, listen, I will sell my possessions and give these things to people who are in need. Because I know there are great needs in the life of our fellowship right now. People have offered to give their cars to families who have been in need that we've made people aware of. I had an opportunity to sit last, uh, two weeks ago on someone's back porch after we had preached through James chapter 4. Or I preached through James chapter 4 about how God wants every part of us and he's jealous for our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And listen to people ask questions about what it looks like to have a radical risk-taking faith in fake Texas. Like, I get what it looks like to go to Africa and live in the bush and tell people about Jesus and sell everything that you have, but what does that look like here? And for us to pray through that and for them to say, listen, I want that, but I am terrified of what that's going to mean for me. Would you pray for me and to sit and pray with them? To sit with a 41-year-old a, a man last fall at Starbucks in Rockwall, Texas, and to hear him pray to receive Jesus. He was like, man, when I was a kid, I, 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 I thought I had this little experience, but now I'm beginning to realize that my heart is so far from God and I need Him. And to pray with Him and to baptize Him in November. It's, in, it's an incredible to see God's grace in our midst. And I wouldn't have seen any of that if we lived in a closed system. God is still redirecting the affairs of human history and of your life. 
And so because of my track record with planning, I'm a little hesitant to even say this, right? But over the course of the last 12 months, we have been praying and planning because we feel like it would be best for the church to be off of this property. And so we have been praying for the last 10 months about where we would relocate and when we would relocate and the timing of all that. And potentially a name change because the name is geographically bound to the location at which we meet. I suggested some of these things back in, the, in last summer and a wise, gracious man named David Bolton said, you've been here like a minute. Well, now I've been here by his mouth about 13 minutes. Or 12 minutes, right? And we, we do believe that, we, that for the sake of the church, that it would be best, as our elders have prayed, that it would be best for us to move and relocate, and we don't plan to stay here. And so we've been looking at property, and we're very close to making an offer. We've got about two more conversations to have with the city and with a bank about making an offer on a piece of property in our community to relocate And I'll be coming around to your life groups, those of you who are in life groups this summer, to share with you where we're headed and how it is that we plan to get there. But listen, if 12 to 18 months from now we look back and we're not there, we don't live in a closed system. We are entrusting ourselves in as much as we are entrusting our individual lives. It's my wife and I. We're here because God has directed us here. We also, as a church, are not presuming that just because we've put a plan together that that's exactly how everything is going to unfold because we don't know enough to know. So I'll own my opinion. And we're going to head that direction. but trust ourselves to the sovereign will of God. And I hope that you would do that with us. Are you presuming? Is there there a a presumptuous attitude that you have about your plans and your goals and what you're going to achieve? Or at the end of the day, do you lay your head on the pillow and say, God, I entrust my life and my future to you because I don't know enough. Let's pray together. Father, we come today thanking you for your grace and goodness. We thank you, Father, for the fact that you have called us, that you have saved us, that you have shown your grace to us, and that you continue to pour it out on the lives of people in our midst. As lives are transformed and changed, as people are saved, as people are sanctified, as people are growing in Christ's likeness and holiness, I pray that a year from now, regardless of where we are meeting, I pray that your church, I pray that it would look like you in your communicable attributes of righteousness and justice and holiness but that we would repent of our attempts to look like you in your incommunicable attributes and take your place through boastful arrogance to say we know what's best. And Father, I pray that you would give us the faith to say that no matter what comes, it is well. It is well. It is well with our soul.
We pray it in Jesus' name.